Welcome to High Cheese with Darren Maloney. Today is Friday, July 15th, 2022. And a lot happened while I was out for a week. Before I start on everything, I just wanted to offer my condolences to the Trump family, particularly Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka for losing their mother, Ivana, this week. And it's got to be really hard to have your mother die so early. I think uh, Ivana was 73 years old, and that's entirely too young to die. So I just wish the best for them, and I'll keep them in my prayers, and if you get a chance, say a prayer for them also. So let's take a look at what happened this week economically. I'm going to focus on economics in the early part of this podcast, and uh, then we'll move on to some uh, additional items. But it was, it was some week. We've got an economic storm headed our way. And I see no light at the end of the tunnel. And we're all in for it. Look, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect me. So let's take a look at some of the numbers that came out this week. On Wednesday, we had CPI. CPI came in at 9.1%, year-over-year increase. That was above expectations. Then on Thursday, we had PPI, the Pursuit Producer Price Index, come in at 11.3% higher year-over-year. So with that said, what I want to do right now is I just want to switch to uh, a clip from uh, CNBC's Rick Santilli. And the debate that they're having is, uh, well, what's caused this? What's caused inflation? And you've got the liberals saying that, oh, it's uh, because of Putin, because of everything but Biden, everything but the government spending, everything but the mismanagement of our oil. So let's go to this clip and uh, then we'll discuss. And just a quick reminder, uh, I think Rick Santelli was the uh, person that coined uh, the Tea Party phrase uh, a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not a fan of CNBC, but he's one person that uh, tries to speak the truth as he sees it. So let's go to the clip and then we'll discuss. I think at the very, very top is energy. Okay. You know, I was today in front of the inflation day. There's so many articles about energy. Brent briefly on Tuesday went below pre February 24, Ukraine-Russia invasion levels. See, here's the deal. If it wasn't for all the mistakes all these countries in Europe and around the globe have done regarding overestimating renewables and underestimating fossil fuels, it would have never put Putin in this position. And the position, uh, we get fibbed at a little bit here because the, the, the numbers of Putin's output and Russia's output are up, 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 up despite sanctions. I don't hear that very often. And I think that it's because that's the way it needs to be. We need this energy. And it's really put the world in a fix. That is at top of the list. The next down, central banks. Central banks have thought they were Hercules and, and Xena the warrior princess all wrapped up in one, but they're not. Because at some point, you got to stop manipulating the markets and let it recalibrate. And this recalibration still has leftovers from the credit crisis. It's going to be messy, okay? So 40%, 40%, and then you can split the net last 20% with all your other issues. So what Santilli is saying is that oil has been mismanaged. All of the woke globalists thought we 
could use this opportunity in Ukraine to switch over to non-fossil fuels or non-fossil energy. Now, the Biden administration had already done this before the Ukrainian war. I mean, if you can remember that Biden had, one of the first things Biden had done when he took office is to stop the Keystone Pipeline and to cut back leases for oil. And that just sent a chill to the oil drillers. So Biden and his administration were ahead of this. And the rest of the world just used the Ukrainian war to continue what Biden was trying to do. Now, it's going to fail ultimately, and it is failing ultimately. Just can't be done. And then he goes on to say, hey, look, the sanctions don't even work. We've tried sanctioning Russia, and the oil sanctions haven't worked. He said, Santelli said, Russia's producing more oil than ever. So it's the incompetence of those people in charge, including Biden, including the globalists, that have gotten us into this predicament. And he doesn't know where we get off on this. There's no way out. And then secondly, Santilli goes, hey, look, and I've mentioned this before, is that for years and years and years, we've had artificially low interest rates. And I always refer to this as just these smoldering coals that were waiting for gasoline to come on, someone to toss gasoline on, to start fire. And the gasoline was the Biden expenditures or the spending that has happened under the Biden administration. His administration was so incompetent, they knew or they failed to realize that you don't throw a massive stimulus bill at an economy that's coming back. But the key thing, the key takeaway on this is that it's the mismanagement of our oil and our fossil fuels, the Fed, artificially low rates since 2008, and the Biden administration amping up spending when it wasn't needed. And right now, we're not getting out of this in the short term. We're stuck with this for a while. I think I mentioned that. We're, we're stuck for this, with this for a two-year period at the very least. Now, there were reports, I think it was the head of the IMF. She's saying, oh, well, things should start alleviating next year. Inflation should start alleviating next year. Don't believe it. Do not believe it. Things will not be fine until we get back to 2% inflation. That's our normalization, 2% inflation. And we're at 9.1% right now. And with that said, I want to go back to uh, Santilli. I want to play a quick clip, uh, Santilli, because CPI was an important number. But the PPI number, I think, in the upcoming months is just as startling. So let me just play this quick clip. Um, I just like I just like playing because you know I, to me I like the anticipation of when these numbers come out, and I'm just going to go back to Centilli and he's going to read off the uh, uh, the PPI numbers. And again, what the PPI is the producer price index. So let's go to Centilli again, and then we'll come back and discuss. Now the most important year-over-year numbers. 11.3 on year-over-year headline. That's only two-tenths below 11.5. That was the March high watermark. 
It's rather unusual that headline uh, month over month was the scary part, and of course, headline year over year was the most intense. They're not going to be filtered through the same prism as yesterday's consumer price index, but important nonetheless. And as I said before, um, this PPI number, which used to be known as the wholesale price index, may be more important to us over the next few months than uh, the CPI number. Only because the PPI number is forward-looking in the sense that these are the, what the PPI number is, is the, the, the cost that the wholesalers are buying their products from that they eventually sell to us. So, for example, say uh, you've got a florist. He buys a bunch of roses. And his cost of buying roses is up 11.3%. Well, that means he's got to add on his VIG. And then ultimately, that's going to cost us. So you know if the wholesaler is buying his product at 11.3%, you know your products are going up at least by that amount. So we'll see this down the road. We'll see these prices increase down the road. So we'll see what happens with this because, um, you know, to me, this was a startling figure. So the expectation should be that prices will continue to go up as a result of this PPI number. Now, it could be offset a little bit if if, uh, gasoline prices go down. But if gasoline prices stay the same level, that they are today, expect your cost to purchase things to go up over the next few months. Even higher than they are now. I guess that's my point. So we shall see. Now, you know, this whole crew that's in the White House right now, they're, they're just absolutely nuts. No, they're just absolutely incompetent. And one of the things I just wanted to point out is uh, Janice Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, comes out. This is how we're going to help cap inflation. This is how we're going to hurt Russia. We're going to cap Russian oil prices. So what Yellen is suggesting is that Russian pri- uh, Russia's oil is going to be capped on the market. Which is bizarre. I don't know how she expects to do this. They can't even get the sanctions to work. They can't get the oil sanctions to work. So they're now going to cap oil, cap Russian oil? Oh, no, you can, you can only buy Russian oil at, uh, say, $50 a barrel? This is just not going to work. And it's just another example of the incompetence of the Biden administration. Where, in a practical sense, do you think this is going to work? After you've already failed to have effective sanctions put on Putin, you're going to come out with some bizarre capping of Russian oil just so you can get a headline that uh, the Biden administration is trying to do something? And that's the problem with the Biden administration. It's all about the politics. It's all about trying to get a headline to say, oh, we're trying to do something. Another example is that, uh, I guess up in Alaska, it was co- it's called the Cook Inlet. The uh, Department of Interior, who uh, sells leases or leases out the uh, property for oil drillers, um, 
I guess it was about a month ago, two months ago, that they had pulled uh, uh, the lease, uh, the bidding for the leases. And what they did is they said that, well, there was no interest in it, which I found bizarre at the time. And the reason I found it bizarre at the time is how do they know there was no interest in it until they have the auction? And they were called out by it, by the Senate. They didn't want to do the leases. So they make up some kind of story because they think that people aren't going to take a second look at this. And of course, these Democrats are used to it because their voters are not educated. They're not aware, like Republicans are, like MAGA is. So they figure out, oh, you know, these people that uh, they'll believe anything we say, which a good chunk of the Democratic Party, they, they believe anything that their party elders say. So now they got called out on it. So now I just recently read a headline, a news report, that said, oh, they're thinking about having an auction for the Cook Inlet leases, only to get the headline. They didn't say when it was going to happen, if it was going to happen. But here's what they've created. They continue to create doubt in the drillers' mind which has caused the oil problem, the oil production problem in this country. The oil producers have no confidence that the Biden administration is going to continue to have leases available for future drilling. And as I said before, these drilling is, it's high risk. You have to expend a lot of capital on these sites. And a lot of times they come up dry. So you need to know that the federal government is going to have available leases that you can continue drilling. And the Biden administration has absolutely not given these drillers any confidence. So no, no wonder why they're, you know, they're not drilling. They're not going to extend themselves when they, don't, when they know that the federal government could just change their mind a month from now. But again, it's all about getting the headline. It's all about diversion. And the gig is up on the Biden administration because we're aware. Even people in your own party are aware now. Okay, I'm sorry. I went on a tangent. Let's get back to the oil cap, the Russian oil cap. And with that said, what I want to do is I want to go to a clip, and I think it's the Indonesian uh, finance minister. And... What she says is that a cap on Russian oil is just not going to work. So let's go to this. And it's taken from the G20. This clip is from uh, today. And well, let's listen to it and then we'll come back and discuss. Putting a cap definitely is not going to solve the problem because it is about the quantity which is not adequate comparing to the demand which is in place. And especially, I think, for many of uh, the European and uh, American, in this case, in which you are going to enter the winter, then your demand for energy is not going to be declined. It's going to increase. It's going to even increase. And that's why I think uh, uh, the President, President Jokowi, in their visit, in his visit to the place, Although her English was a little broken, I think we got the gist of it. Essentially, what she was saying is that, look, this is not about uh, capping the price of it. This is about supply and demand. So you've got Europe and you've got the United States heading into the winter season. 
which is going to create so much demand. And because of the laws of supply and demand, you're just not going to be able to cap a certain price from a certain country. Just not going to work. And I want to say her name, but I I don't want to butcher it. She sounds like she's very bright. And uh, just to reference her as the finance minister of Indonesia. Now, this all parlays into the next article I want to read. And, oh, before I go into the article, I just want to say the G20 is the meeting of the 20 largest economies in the world. So the the finance people and certain bureaucrats attend a G20 meeting every year. There's also a G7 meeting, which is the the seven largest economies in the world. They have a meeting also, but this is the G20 meeting. So let's go back to the article I want to read. And this all has to do, in my opinion, do with the incompetence of the Biden administration, including Biden himself. Now, look, Biden's the swampiest of the swamp. You know, he's been there for 40 or 50 years before he even became president. He knows nothing about business. He knows nothing about America. And the same goes for the people that work for him. The same thing goes for the people in his administration. So... Here's an article I want to read, and it says here, and it's from Breitbart, and the headline says, exclusive, ship of fools, 62% of Biden officials who handle economic policy have zero years business experience per report. And let me just read a little bit. An explosive new analysis published by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity reveals that Democratic President Joe Biden's administration has few business-oriented officials in the administration and that the vast majority of people handling economic policy for the United States government under Biden have no business experience whatsoever. The 15-page report authored by economist Steve Moore and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Executive Director John Decker, was provided to Breitbart News exclusively ahead of its public release. The headline of the report is, Not Ready for Prime Time. Majority of Biden appointees have zero years of business experience. The report analyzes the backgrounds of the top 68 officials in the Biden administration, starting with the president himself, and including cabinet members, regulatory officials, and White House advisors. And here's the problem. The problem is they reach into academia and they pull these people out, or they pull out political hacks with no experience. And whatever happened, you remember the old adage, those who can do, those who can't teach. And maybe this is a perfect example here. There is no experience. So we've got our economy being guided by people with no experience in business. Is it, that, That's Orwellian. To me, that's Orwellian. And the problem with these people, the po- problem with these bureaucrats, they always think that the answers to the problems of America are found in meetings at the 40,000-foot level. We want to talk about spreadsheets. Oh, the answers to this country are in spreadsheets. The answers to this country are in reports. Let's write another report. You're not going to get the answers by writing reports. The answers are always the simplest answers. And the answers are found where the tire meets the road. And that's where business is. 
businessmen have their finger on the pulse of the economy. The guy running the bodega down the street, he knows more about the economy than Janice Yellen. Believe you me, it's the small business people that understand the economy. And again, this is why I, this is one of the reasons I think that these globalists want to get rid of small business because small business have a counter narrative to what these globalists are doing. And their narrative is the correct narrative. They know the economy better than somebody sitting in Washington. The bodega owner knows the economy much better than anyone in Washington. I guarantee you that. And this is the problem with Biden. It's filled with academics, political hacks, or both. And this is another reason I think we're in for a rough two years. Now, look, there'll be some opportunity out there, and I'll get into this later with housing. But I'll talk about that later. But right now, we're being driven by blind people. The taxi driver can't see the road or doesn't want to see the road. Taxi driver doesn't know how to ride. That's what we have in Washington right now with Biden. Okay, let me give you some more bad numbers from uh, this week that came out. So every, every week they come out with uh, jobless claims. And this week's jobless claims, the estimate was 234,000 new jobless claims, but 244,000 new jobless claims came in. Additionally, U.S. industrial output fell for the first time this year. Now, what industrial output is, it's manufacturing, ancillary businesses. So that fell for the first time this year. And then finally, we had GDP Now. I've often referenced GDP Now. Now, what GDP Now, it's a running estimate on what the second quarter GDP is going to be. And it's produced by the Atlanta Fed. And periodically, they come out with uh, the latest estimate. So their latest estimate came out today, and they're anticipating that second quarter GDP will come in at negative 1.5%. So we've already had first quarter GDP down negative 1.6%, and the Atlanta Fed thinks that the second quarter GDP is going to come in negative 1.5%. And it's generally accepted that a recession is two back-to-back negative GDP quarters. So that's more dismal information. So we've got a recession and we've got inflation. And when, before I forget too, is that 9.1% CPI number that came in, if you applied the way they calculated the CPI in the 1970s and the 1980s, Today's CPI number would be 14, 15%. Just so happened over, over the years, the federal government changed the calculation how inflation is calculated. So essentially, it results in an underestimation of what the actual inflation rate really is. So think about that. A lot of us like to think, oh, it's just like the 1970s. Early 1980s. Yep, it is. It is. 
Now, I've also said the only thing that can keep this stock market floating is our earnings. And so far this week, the earnings, particularly from the banks, have been mixed. J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley came out with disappointing results. I think Wells Fargo came out today with disappointing results. So right now, the only thing that can keep this market treading water is stronger earnings, and they're not getting it right now. I haven't checked the market right now. It's uh, it's in the last hour of trading. Last time I checked, it was up like 500 points, which is just bizarre. And one thing that worries me is that is this market not reflect reality, which if that's the case, that's dangerous. But what's going to happen if the algorithm that runs Wall Street, that the traders just start ignoring the data? And I'm worried about that right now because once we know we're in a recession, you're going to get these talking heads to push the envelope, start changing the metrics on what a recession is in order to keep the stock market pumped up. And they're just undermining their own positions and they're undermining the markets in the long term. And that's what concerns me right now. They'll just change the definition. Just like the CDC changed the definition of what a vaccine is. When somebody dies of COVID, is it with COVID or is it from COVID? And if they start applying that mentality to the stock market, we're doomed. The market's doomed. I won't say we're doomed. We're, we can survive anything. But the rest of the country, those people that rely on the markets, they're doomed. And the country will be hurt, but we will survive. Okay, let me talk about housing uh, for a couple of minutes. And uh, there's just two articles I wanted to address. The first one is, this is a little telling. It has to do with uh, Canada. And it has to do with the Canadian um, real estate market. And let me just read a little bit of it. It says, Canada home prices slide the most since 2005 based on mortgage rates. And it says here, Canadian home prices saw their biggest monthly decline in at least 17 years as the impact of higher interest rates began to spread across the country. The benchmark price of a home fell 1.9% in June versus the previous month, according to data released Friday by the Canadian Real Estate Association. That's the third straight month of falling prices and the biggest one-time drop in data going back to 2005. Now, this could portend of what is to come for us here in the United States. Now, the Canadian market is a little more sensitive to interest rates than we are here because uh, we can get a fixed 30-year mortgage in the United States. However, the longest you can go out on a fixed rate is five years. So every five years, you have to reset your mortgage rate. So the Canadian market is much more sensitive to interest rates, but eventually it's going to hit here. So I think the Canadian market is the canary in the coal mine for us right here in the United States. They're probably six, uh, six seven months ahead of the curve on us. Now, additionally, I just wanted to uh, point to another article, and it has to do with the uh, repos, uh, car repos. It says cars, r- car repossessions are on the rise. 
the repossession rate has doubled since 2020. According to the statistics, uh, people are taking out larger loans for the cars. Cars are more expensive. But the interesting thing about this article that I, I read is that the repossession rate goes across the board, across the economic board. So that not only have they doubled for lower income people, they, they've also doubled for people with better credit scores. So there's something telling right here about slowdown and how this is going to affect housing. Now, here's the one thing you have to remember is right now you've got an inverted yield curve, which means that the two-year uh, yield is higher than the 10-year yield. And the mortgage rates have a tendency to pivot off of the 10-year yield. So people may say, yeah, the mortgage rates are going down. And because of quantitative tightening, we just don't know what the relationship between the 10-year and mortgage rates is going to be. So we just don't know how quantitative tightening is going to affect the relationship, the current relationship between the 10-year and mortgage rates. I remember years ago where they had quantitative easing, which artificially lowered rates. And what the Fed did is they bought mortgages. They created demand for mortgages in the markets, which artificially kept mortgage rates down. So they've stopped that or they're slowing that down. And because of that, so there, you may see a disconnect between the 10-year and the 30-year mortgage because of quantitative tightening. So I don't think that mortgage rates will go down significantly when the 10-year goes down. So, And again, mortgage rates are going to put pressure on housing. So if you're a first-time home buyer, sit and wait. Time is on your side. Higher mortgage rates, a recession, artificially high home prices will cause a reduction in home values. And I'm seeing it right now. And I've been looking at the Florida market. The Florida market, you already see people slashing prices on their homes in some markets. One market I think it's still doing well is um, the Palm Beach area. But other markets, they're, you know, I, I see a lot of prices being slashed. So again, if you have to rent for another year, if you've got to pay a little higher lease payment on your home or your apartment, you know, pay it. I think in the long run, you'll be better off. You get that big old asset at a much cheaper price the longer you wait. And again, I'm not giving it financial advice, but that's what I would do. So we shall see. So let's take a look at next week's uh, economic calendar as it relates to housing. On a Monday, July 18th, we've got the NAHB Home Builders Index. We've got an estimate of 66. Last month, it was 67. On Tuesday, July 19th, we've got building permits, and housing starts. We've got an estimate of 1.68 million building permits. And we've got an estimate of 1.59 housing starts. Then on Wednesday, we've got existing home sales. And we've got an estimate of 5.38 million. And the previous month, we had an actual of 5.41 million. 
So if you get a chance, just follow those next week. It should be interesting. Okay, I'm going to read an article from the New York Post, and it really bothers me. And it bothers me at so many levels. So let me read it first, and then I want to discuss a few things with you. And it's from the New York Post, and it says here, and the headlines say, Anti-Trump, Stanford Law Professor Pamela Carlin quietly leaves the Department of Justice amid attacks on unethical $1 million salary. Stanford University law professor Pamela Carlin, best known for her 2019 testimony in favor of impeaching then-President Donald Trump, quietly left the Justice Department this month as a conservative group ratcheted up attacks on an unethical arrangement in which she continued to earn nearly $1 million a year from Stanford while working for the government. You know, they talk about the J6, people that undermine democracy. It's people like Pamela Carlin that undermine democracy. Here she is. She's collecting a million-dollar-a-year salary while working for the Department of Justice, which is clearly an unethical arrangement. I think in the article, someone mentions you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters in government. You can't serve two masters in most forms of employment. And, and, and this is the problem that I have with many attorneys. And this is why many attorneys' behavior is unethical. Because they think that as long as it complies with the law, it's ethical behavior. So as long as it's legal, it's okay. And you and I know that's the farthest thing from the truth. You can always tell a person's character when you see their actions, when they think no one is looking. And that's what ethics is. It's not just complying with the law. There's so many things that you can do under the law that's unethical, immoral. And do we really want members of a Department of Justice serving two masters? And what gets me, a million dollars a year. I think Earlier in the episode, I said, those who can do, those who can't teach. And I guess it was maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these universities started paying these massive salaries to professors for whatever reason, pseudo-celebrity professors. And there's a correlation between people's tuition and the salaries that these professors are making right now. And I got no problems with teachers, but for a million dollars a year, what are you producing for a million dollars a year? What have you produced at Stanford for the last year while you were working at the Department of Justice? What was going to happen if there was a case that involved the, uh, the Department of Justice and Stanford University? Were you going to look the other way? That's what ethics is. And it's not simply about recusing yourself. Because if you re recuse yourself to the point where you can't function in your capacity as an employee is at, the, at the Department of Justice, you can't be an employee. And to think that you can hold on with a job at the Department of Justice under these, those circumstances, that's unethical. So there's so many levels in this article that really bothered me. Again, as I said before, I got nothing against teachers. I think teachers is an honorable profession. But there are some teachers that go through the motions and aren't really interested in teaching the kids. They're interested in, in the paycheck. And apparently this Pamela Carlin is just interested in the paycheck because I don't think that she worked for Stanford or she did very little work for Stanford. Because when you assume you're you have a full-time job with the Department of Justice, 
And you must have a full-time job as a professor at Stanford. So how do you balance out giving your employers a good hard day's work? You're cheating one of the employers. It's either the Department of Justice you're cheating or the St- or Stanford University you're cheating. And she'll rationalize it like a lot of these unethical attorneys do. Oh, well, I'm so important to Stanford. They owe me, you know, they owe me the money. I'm doing good. I'm working for the government. And this is, this is just really problematic. But it just shows us. You've got attorneys and you've got these college professors that are lacking in so many ways. They're lacking in character. They're lacking in ethical behavior. And they're just clearly not worth the money. I just don't think these professors are bright people. And with that said, I just want to switch uh, to a clip, and it's with uh, Josh Hawley. And Josh Hawley was going at it with some professor from Berkeley about transgenderism. And I think you may have seen it, but I got to play it again because my point in this whole clip that you're going to see is the behavior of a so-called professor that's probably making a lot of money. So let me just go to this clip with Hawley, and then we'll come back and discuss. Clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, There are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a. We can recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is is that the core of this this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender p- uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that there, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you're denying that trans people exist. Thank and that you. leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're a- opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time questioning. in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned you, a lot I just know. in this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. And that was Professor Kiara Bridges from Berkeley. I think it was Berkeley. And this is what's being taught to your kids. That men can have babies. And if you disagree with them, it's an act of violence against the people you disagree with. This is utterly absurd. This woman is utterly absurd. And what I can't, listen to the, it's almost baby talk. It's like she's reverting back to a 13-year-old girl arguing with her parent. And it's clearly a person that's not used to being questioned, which is the fundamental Socratic method of learning that we've all been brought up with until recently. It's all about dictating to people. She's going to dictate to you. And if you disagree, it's an act of violence. 
but you got to see what she was getting so mad. She was wild-eyed. Her, her eyes were bulging out of her head. And she's probably making a good salary at Berkeley. And this is what we have. And this is another reason not to send your kids to college. Let them learn some other fashion. Because this is indoctrination. This is, this is a person that indoctrinates other people. They don't have a capacity to go back and forth and to listen to other people because all they've done is just do things by rote. And when people get co- people who only know to do things by rote, like this professor does, and when she's questioned on it, she just reverts back to, oh my God, it's, a, it's an act of violence. So you knew she lost the ar- argument with Holly when she started reverting back to suicide for transgender people. So this is totally absurd. This is what is going on in our universities. And we've, it's got to start changing. I think it is starting to change. It's, it's changing on the local level, but it's got to get into our universities. And we've got to get rid of these type of professors and these people that make up this kind of curriculum. So, climate change is actually good for Canada, Russia, and certain portions of the United States. So I just want to go to a study here, and this is from CNBC, and it says here, the U.S. and China, the two greatest greenhouse gas emitters, have caused global economic losses of more than $1.8 trillion from 1990 to 2014, according to a new Dartmouth study. Researchers said the findings, which were published in the Journal of Climatic Change on Tuesday, could provide opportunities for climate liability claims between individual countries. The research provides an answer to the questions of whether there is a scientific basis for climate liability claims. The answer is yes, said Christopher Callahan, a PhD candidate at Dartmouth and a study author. So here's a study by a college student. So a college student is now the definitive expert on climate change. But here's what's buried in the article that I'm not sure they want you to know. It says here, emissions produced by the United States had a positive economic impact on countries like Canada and Russia, contributing to gains of $247 billion and $341 billion, respectively, according to their analysis. The study said that countries that have benefited from U.S. emissions have cooler temperatures and are wealthier than the global average. The countries are typically located in the north or middle latitudes. Warmer temperatures, in some cases, can help increase output by boosting crop yields. So what global warming is doing for Canada and for Russia, and I'm assuming some parts of the colder areas of the United States, it's extending the crop season. Now, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing for Canada? Is that a bad thing for Russia? Is that a bad thing for North Dakota? But they don't want you to know that. They're trying to bury it into all these other economic losses that are made up. So even according to their analysis, there is some benefit to global warming or climate change. Now, I believe climate's always changing. I'm not sure if they wanted this section put in this article. So I just think it's hilarious. I just think it's very funny. So global warming is helping Canada and Russia. What does Trudeau have to say about that? Okay, before I go to uh, cover the markets, 
I just want to talk about Liz Warren and what an evil person she is. She just introduced legislation along with her fellow Democrats to ban crisis pregnancy centers. Now, these are crisis pregnancy centers that are not funded by the federal government and do a heap of good for this country. But evil Liz Warren wants them shut down because she wants to be able to continue to kill babies. So let me just go to this clip and just take a listen to this person. This is what evil is. So let's go to the clip and then we'll discuss. Those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that. So according to Liz Warren, it's torture to help a woman not have an abortion. You're torturing the mother. Just like the professor from Berkeley with Hawley, it's an act of violence if you disagree with the fact that men can't have babies. So you're torturing women when you show them that opting to have a kid is a good thing. This Democratic Party, these progressives are evil. Something has come over them. They're mass delusional, and they're being guided by evil forces, and they're lizard people. They have no heart. They're being run by their limbic system. And this is why it's so important to have the Republicans take back Congress and the Senate in November. The voices of Liz Warren have to be tamped down. And you do that by taking over the House, and you do that by taking over the Senate. Liz, you are a nasty person, you are evil, and one day you will answer for it, either at the polls or in front of God. Enough said on that. Okay, let's go to the markets real quick. I spent a lot of time on the economy today, so I'm just going to do a real quick review of the markets today. Dow finished up 2.15% to 31,288.26. Year to date, the Dow is down 13.9%. The S&P finished up 1.92% to 3,863.16. Year-to-date, the S&P is down 18.95%. NASDAQ finished up today 1.79% to 11,452.70. Year-to-date, NASDAQ is down 26.8%. The 10-year bond finished down three basis points to two. 0.926%. Again, we have an inverted yield curve where the two-year, the yield on the two-year note is higher than the 10-year note. Oil futures, and right now it is 824 on Friday evening, July 15th. Oil futures are trading at 97.57 cents per barrel. Gold futures are trading right now. It's $1,706.50 per ounce. Silver futures are trading at $18.60 per ounce. Bitcoin is trading at $20,799.99. Ethereum is trading at $1,280.38. And 
XRP is trading at 33 cents. And with that said, thank you for listening. Um, just a note, I'm going to go on summer hours and I will be doing a podcast every Saturday until the end of the summer. And once the fall picks up, I'll be going back to two podcasts per week right before the midterm elections. So with that said, you have a good week and I will talk to you soon. Thank you again.